Rasulullah. Alhamdulillah, Jazakum Allah khairan for uh, turning up. We are now beginning our second and final day of the conference. And the very, the very first speech, as you know, is by Sheikh Salim Al-Amri. We'll continue till about 10.30 because we're starting about 20 minutes late. And then we'll have a break for 15 minutes and then come back straight away for the second session. The talk, as you can see, titled is Tawheed, Sunnah and Worship. And that's what Sheikh Salim Al-Amri will talk about for the next hour and a bit, inshallah. Jazakum Allah khairan. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا إنه من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله تعالى وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أما بعد Brothers and sisters, our talk as you see There are three main topics and each one needs a course by itself The Sunnah, the Tawheed and the Worship they have to squeeze this in one hour. Anyway, I'll try my best, inshallah. Uh, sunnah and its lofty status in Islam. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا آتَاكُمَ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ So this... Ayah number 7, Surah 59, Allah says, And whatever the messenger gives you, take it. And whatever he forbids you, abstain from it. Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, he said that the, he said, the one who blocks her eyebrows is cursed in the book of Allah. So can blocking the eyebrows for women. He said, the one who plucks her eyebrows, he is cursed in the book of Allah. So one woman objected, and she said to Ibn Mas'ud, I read the Quran from the kafir to the kafir, show it to me. He said, had you read the Quran, you would have found it. Didn't you read وَمَا آتَاكُمَ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Did you read this ayah or didn't you? So, and the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah's curse be upon those women who block their eyebrows. And Allah is saying, whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives you, take it. And whatever he forbids you, abstain from it. Then she wanted to incite and provoke Ibn Mas'ud. She said, your wife blocks her eyebrows. He said, go and check. And she went and came. He said, no, I was mistaken. He said, had she been practicing that, you would not have remained with me. Follow stop. See the strictness of the companions. And the love of the sunnah of the Prophet 
flinging peoples to throw peoples with your finger like this. Which we call it khadif in the Arabic language. The Prophet ﷺ, he said you should not practice that. So, one of the companions, his son was doing this. And he said, the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from doing this. He did it again. He said, go, you're not my son. Ibn Umar, when he quoted the hadith, لا تمنعوا إماء الله مساجد الله Do not prevent the servants of Allah, the female ones, from going to the masjid. His son said, by Allah we will stop them. Because they, are, they will be using the masjid as an excuse to go. Whenever he wants to go, I'll go to the masjid. By Allah will stop them. Ibn Umar got very angry and he cursed his son and he said, Go, I don't want to speak to you and you are not my son. And he died, Abdullah ibn Umar, without speaking to his son. This is the love of the Sunnah. That the Sahaba had in their hearts for the Sunnah of the Prophet And see our situation today. A brother will come to you and say, you said this thing is haram or this thing is, is disliked or this not is obligatory. He will tell you, is it in the Quran? You tell him, no, it's not in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah. Oh, yes, it's the Sunnah. As the Sunnah is something secondary. So when we start to disrespect the Sunnah of the Prophet see the humiliation. See the humiliation of the Ummah. Qadi Mullah al-Qari rahimahullah ta'ala said, he said the division of in the Ummah began when the gaps and the lines of the Salah started, uh, people started not to line up and not reducing and closing the gaps in the rows. He quoted this from the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu If you don't straighten the lines and you don't reduce these gaps and line up, Allah will chain your hearts. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said. So it's a prophecy. So he said, when the lines of the salah were not according to the sunnah, the hearts chained of the Muslims. And you can see now how we stand in the salah. The gap between every Muslim and another Muslim. And you know who's sitting in this gap? The shaitan. Every gap in the row, shaitan. So, Muslim, shaitan. Muslim, shaitan. Muslim, shaitan. These are the rows. In the salah. And if you want to bring your foot next to the other one, he will run away. As if you apply 200 volt. What's the voltage here? Okay? So, he see the sahaba and how they loved the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And many of us, they claim, if you ask you know, any one of you, do you love the Prophet ﷺ? Do you love the Prophet ﷺ? Raise your hands, all of you. Where is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? Many of you, I can see, no sunnah. Where is it? Hmm? In the trash bin. Huh? So brothers, if you, I want you to prove today, those who shave, if you love the Prophet ﷺ, stop shaving it. Save money. Please your Prophet. Are you ready? Yes. Allah will reward you for this. This is how we should show practically our love for the Prophet 
something will not cost you anything unless your sweetheart says it pokes me and <laughs> say no 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 they'll get used to it no problem <laughs> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says قُلْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَقْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Say, O Muhammad وسلم, to mankind, if you really love Allah, then follow me. Follow me. Follow the sunnah of the Prophet Allah will love you. This is, the, this is the criteria. Anyone claims the love, this is the criteria. This is the touchstone. You know touchstone? If you go with vague gold, Huh? Ornament to the eula, he will scratch it against the stone, say, he throw it back to you. It's fake. Okay? So the touchstone here, that if you love the Prophet ﷺ, follow his sunnah. Not the love of the Prophet ﷺ by celebrating his birthday and eating sweets and, and dancing and all that. That's not the love of the Prophet ﷺ. The love, the true love for the Prophet ﷺ is to follow his sunnah as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Follow the Quran and Allah will love you and forgive you your sins and Allah is often forgiven, most merciful. So what is the sunnah? As you know, sunnah is an Arabic word and so I will just give you the definition of the sunnah. Sunnah means the way. And the scholars define the sunnah as whatever was transmitted on the authority of the Prophet ﷺ. His deeds, saying, his approval, or description of his sifat, physical features. And this is the definition of the sunnah according to the scholars of hadith. They included the physical features even in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, in the definition. The jurist, the fuqaha, when they defined the sunnah, they excluded the physical features. They don't include the physical features in the definition. So they are saying just the sayings and the actions and the approvals and the fourth type. There's a fourth type. Do you know? The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, four types. Sunnah, qawliya, his sayings. Sunnah, fi'liya, his acts and actions. Sunnah, taqririya, his approvals. He saw something happened in front of him and he approved of that. So this means that it is halal, like eating the lizard, a type of reptile, big ones. And it was served to the Prophet ﷺ, it was roasted, served. And the Prophet ﷺ was nearly to have a bite. Then they told him this brought from Najd. So he left it. Khalid ibn walid was present, eating with the Prophet ﷺ. So Khalid said, immediately I asked the Prophet ﷺ, is it haram, O Prophet of Allah? said, no, but I don't like it because it doesn't live in my residential and locality in Mecca and this area. So Khalid said, I dragged it, I pulled it and I started eating it till I finished everything. Okay? No single piece of flesh. Totally. He finished it, Khalid, mashallah. And the Prophet ﷺ was watching. Huh? What is this, mashallah? Huh? So this means that eating the dab is halal. And the fourth type, which many Muslims are unaware of it, which we call it sunnah tarqiyya, which means the things that the Prophet ﷺ did not do 
despite and in spite of the existence of the need. There was a need, nevertheless the Prophet ﷺ did not do it. I'll give the example. For instance, many of the companions died. And he buried them. There is a bid'ah in some Muslim countries. When they lower the body into the grave, someone will go down and start dictating to you what you should say to the angels. He said, don't be frightened so and so. Two angels are going to come. They ask you, and he dictates to you. That will not help. Okay? Cheating will not help here. So this is a bid'ah, because the Prophet ﷺ, he buried many Muslims and he didn't do that. He didn't read the Qur'an upon those who passed away. He didn't read the Qur'an. He didn't read Surah Yasin in the graveyard. And the hadith is weak. Iqra'u Yasin ala mawtaakum is a weak hadith. Read Yasin for those who passed away is a weak hadith. He didn't do anything. He didn't read Surah Al-Fatiha when he visited the graveyard, etc. So whatever he didn't do, the sunnah is also not to do. Eclipse take place at his time. And he prays the eclipse prayer. Without adhan. Without what? Adhan. No adhan. He led the Eid prayer. Without adhan. So now if one comes and says, we'll make adhan for the eclipse prayer and for the Eid prayer. What is it then? It is bid'ah. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it Despite the need, people should be informed. But the sunnah not to chant adhan for Eid or for the eclipse prayer. So the sunnah is to leave it. So whatever the Prophet ﷺ did not do, despite the need, we should not do it. So these are the four types of the sunnah. And of course, if we find an apparent contradiction, apparent contradiction, between the sayings and the actions. You understand? You read hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says something. Then you read another hadith, he did something. So there is an apparent contradiction. What should you do? In this case, of course, we have to follow his sayings. His sayings. And his action or his act, there are many ways. Either he did that out of necessity... Okay. There was a need for that. Or this is something, we call it something khususiyah, something peculiar, something special for the Prophet ﷺ. You cannot marry than four. Can you? Then you are murtad. If one marries more than four, four wives, five wives together, he's a murtad. He should be killed. But the Prophet ﷺ, he has more than four. That is something unique for the Prophet ﷺ. You cannot say, I, I want to marry for more than four. If you want to marry the fifth one, divorce one of the four. Not the first one necessarily, but anyone. So, so if there is an apparent contradiction, we have to follow his sayings. For instance, the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Yarhad O Yurhud Ratti Fakhidak Fain al Fakhida Aura. This is in Sahih al Jama' and authentic hadith authenticated by our Imam and Shaykh Nasr al Din al Albani Rahmullah Ta'ala. So this hadith, the Prophet says to Yarhad, one of the companions, 
Oh, Jarhad, cover your thigh. Because verily the thigh is awrah, nakedness. Full stop. This is a saying. This is what? A saying. So those who play football and go jogging. You do jogging here? Huh? You have to wear huh? long trousers. So how about swimming? Also it has to be long. Some brothers, they tell me, Yaki, we love football. I said, how can you see the, watch the thighs of the people? Say, no, 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 I'm just watching the football. <laughs> and also some sisters, they love football. Imagine. Anyway. So here the Prophet ﷺ said, cover your thigh because verily the thigh is awra. But there is another narration where Abu Bakr came and entered upon the Prophet ﷺ, and the thigh of the Prophet ﷺ was shown. And then Umar ibn al-Khattab. And the Prophet ﷺ remained in that position. Then Uthman entered and the Prophet ﷺ said, shouldn't I feel ashamed or shy of a person whom Allah and the angels, they feel shy of? Then he covered his, his thigh. Understand? So now, the Prophet's thigh was shown. That is action and saying. Which one we should follow? His saying. And his action can be explained in many ways. Either that's something khususiya or peculiar, and that's why the scholars classified the aura into two types of aura. Aura mughallada or aura mukhaffafa. Light aura, literally, and mughallada, thick one. Which means that is from the navel and the, about the nave, between the knees and the navel, the private part. That should not be shown. For anyone, except of course between the, the couples. So they say this is awra mughallada. This should not be exposed, should not be shown. And awra mukhaffafa, for instance, a man cannot pray in the salah when, while his shoulders are not covered. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned that. And this is, of course, something special in the salah. Or that the Prophet ﷺ was unaware. And it coincided that he remembered by the entrance when uh, at the time Uthman entered. When Uthman entered, so he looked and he said what he said. Okay? So we have to follow his saying that he said and stated that the thigh is awra. And he said to Ali, Oh Ali, never look to the thigh of any human being, whether he's dead or alive. So if there is a contradiction or an apparent contradiction, then you have to follow the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Okay. The function of the sunnah. What is the relationship between sunnah and the Qur'an? As you know that the sunnah explains the Qur'an. Without the sunnah, many things in the Qur'an, they will be unclear. So we need the sunnah to explain the Qur'an to us. And those, subhanallah, now they are active in the subcontinent, they call themselves Qur'aniyun, you know this. They only accept the Qur'an, they don't accept the sunnah. If you reject the sunnah, that will make you kafir. And then you can argue with them. Teach, tell this Qur'ani, and he's not Qur'ani, okay, 
in reality. Tell him, teach me the salah from the Quran. I want to know how many rak'ahs. Huh? Teach me, teach me that. Teach it, teach the details of the salah to me from the Quran. It's not there. Quran said, aqimu salah, establish the prayer. Where is it? Tell me how much I should give out for zakah. What is the zakah of the livestock? What's the zakah of the, the, the crops? Is it there in the Quran? No. So the sunnah clarifies the mujmal. What is the mujmal? They summarized. Aqimu salah. So it explains it. It specifies the am, it specifies the general. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hurrimat alaykum al mayta waddam in Surah Al Maida. That dead animals are haram and the blood. How about the fish, dead or alive when you eat it, when you buy it from the market? Dead. So we'll put two, two circles blood and Dead. Anything dead, put it in the circle. Anything blood, put it in the circle. So the fish is dead. So it is haram by the Quran. So till the Qurani, the fish is haram. According to your understanding. Because it is dead. It is dead. And you don't accept it. And the Quran says it's haram. The blood, how about the liver and the spleen, you know? It's blood. So it's haram. So the sunnah came, though it is a general, general text, and it exempted and excluded and removed and said there is an exception here. That's the part the Prophet ﷺ said. Two things, two types of blood and two types of the dead animals are halal. Locust and the fish. Halal. So there is an exception. And the liver and the spleen. So the sunnah, specifies the general. The sunnah defines or limits the mutlaq. Mutlaq means unbound, unlimited. For instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَالسَّارِقُ وَالسَّارِقَةُ فَاقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا The thief, both male and female, chop off their hands. The word yet in the Arabic language has three meanings. It starts from the armpit till the end of the tips of the finger. This is holier. From the elbows until the tips of the fingers. From the wrist until the tips of the finger. Where should we cut? Hmm? If there is no indication, then I can cut from anywhere. So the sunnah said, yes, this is mutlaq, but you should cut only from the wrist of the hand. So it limited the mutlaq. Also the sunnah affirms the rulings in the Quran. Sometimes you find the hadith conveys the same ruling in the Quran. Alcohol is haram, the sunnah says. Huh? A small amount of the alcohol, what, if it, uh, a lot of it or much quantity of it intoxicates, then a small amount of it is haram. So this is actually affirming the same ruling in the Quran. Also the sunnah brings rulings that are not in the Quran. Tell those who say, they call themselves Qurani, tell me from the Quran that I should not eat the flesh of the donkeys. Say, how about domestic donkey? Can I eat the meat, the flesh? Say, it's haram. Say, where? Show me to me in the, to me in the Quran. Hmm? It's not there. It's only in the Sunnah. And they say, it's domestic donkeys to exclude the zebra. Zebra halal. 
zebra, they are halal. You can eat them. So the sunnah brings ruling that are not in the Quran. Also tell this who calls himself Qurani, can I marry a woman and her maternal or paternal uncle together? A woman and her maternal or paternal aunt. Sorry, aunt. Said uncle? Oh, sorry. Otherwise. <laughs> okay. Aunt. So here, it is haram. Unanimously agreed there is a consensus. Ijma among the Muslim scholars. And this is only mentioned in the sunnah. Mentioned on in the sunnah. Also, there is a permissibility of eating the hyena. You know hyena? Yes. In Sunnah Nabi Dawood, authentic hadith, the Prophet ﷺ Hyena is a game. You can eat it. Though we know the wild beasts are haram to eat, lions, tigers, but there is exception. So that is in brief about the Sunnah. Tawheed. Tawheed, brothers and sisters. Oh Allah. Masha'Allah. Maybe inshallah we'll die. We pray that we die upon the Tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ وَلَيُمَكِّنَنَّ لَهُمْ دِينَهُمُ الَّذِي ارْتَضَى لَهُمْ وَلَيُبَدِّلَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ خَوْفِهِمْ أَمْنَا يَعْبُدُونَنِي لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِي شَيْئًا وَمَنْ كَفَرَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ Allah has promised to those among you who believe and work righteous deeds. See the promise. Only for those who believe. Muhid, number one. Mu'min. And amal salihat and work righteous deeds. These are the two conditions. Those Allah promised them. That He will surely grant them succession to authority upon the earth. The Khilafah. They will be Khulafa. Just as He granted it to those before them. And that He will surely establish for them their, end, their religion. That this deen will be established. Will dominate. Will have the upper hand. We have no doubt about this. By Allah. Allah promised that this deen is going to supersede as He promised. So we have no doubt that this deen will supersede, will dominate, will reach everywhere. Every household, this deen will enter it. So don't worry about the spread of Islam. Worry about yourselves. This deen, Allah will take care of it. Even if we don't do the job, Allah will substitute us, replace us with others who will do the job. So we have to think about one thing, that we die upon this deen, about this, about, about the, the, the Islam. That's what we should worry about. And the establishment of the Khilaf is coming upon the methodology of prophethood, not... Huh? By democracy or democratic elections or going to the parliaments. No, no, no. The Khilafah will be established upon the prophet, prophetic methodology. As he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
establish the deen for those who passed before us. And Allah, <coughs> He will surely establish for them the religion which He has preferred for them, and that He will surely substitute for them that after their fear, security. The fear now you have, Allah will exchange it, will substitute it with security. But what is the condition? Providing. So the khilafah and this succession to authority will not be given to you unless you are muhid. This is it. This is the providing. This is, you fulfill this condition. If you don't fulfill the tawheed, then no khilafah. Khilafah will not be established upon the hands of those who fight the sunnah of the Prophet It will not be established upon the hands of those who reject many issues of aqidah. It will not be established upon the hands of those who ridicule the sunnah of the Prophet It will be only established upon the muwahids, those who are monotheists, those who worship Allah, those who do righteous deeds and righteous works. For they worship me, not associating anything with me. But whoever disbelieves after that, then they are rebellious and wicked. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised, and Allah will never break his promise. So the khilafah will come. And when, when we believe in him and do righteous deeds. Two things are required. The iman and righteous deeds. Any sin we commit, it delays the establishment of Khilafah. You understand or not? Any haram the Muslims do, it delays the Khilafah. Any amal salih, any good deed you do, you escalate its establishment. So that's why Shaykh al-Dhahabi, rahimahullah, said, establish the Islamic state within yourself. It will be established on the earth. What does it mean? First of all, you change yourself, practice Islam, in your family. You find many people, many brothers, they talk about khilafah, khilafah, demonstration in London, things like that. They want to establish khilafah from London. I remember this. Ten years ago, the first time, or more than that, when I came, I gave a talk in the central mosque, and it was Ramadan, so I talked only about fasting. And then after that, one of the brothers, he grabbed me and said, you are a hypocrite. You people who come from the Gulf, you are coward, and you don't talk about the Khilaf. I opened my mouth, really, and said, why are you attacking like me, like this? I didn't talk about Khilaf, I talked about fasting, Yafi. He said, why didn't you talk about Khilaf? <laughs> what to do now? I said, uh, well... The Khilafah, inshallah, will be established and we believe, inshallah, and we have to work towards the establishment of Khilafah. And Allah promised. He said, no, 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 that should be the first priority. He said, Akhi, where are you from? He said, I'm from Egypt. He said, mashallah, what are you doing here? You want to establish the Khilafah from London? He said, yes, we'll do that. He said, subhanallah, you know they are the ones who destroyed the Khilafah? Don't you know this? Who destroyed the Ottoman Empire? 
Those people. Hmm? Those two people here, they are the one who destroyed the Khilafah. The English. No doubt about it. And you are now seeking political asylum. And you are living on Dole. What do you call it, Dole? Huh? And you want to establish Khilafah in London? As a matter of fact, you are contained. You are in their pocket already. And you are a tool they are using you at any time. This is the bitter truth which everyone should know. So the Khilafah will be established upon the methodology of the Prophet ﷺ, upon the Kitab and Sunnah. So, the Tawheed comes first. Also you'll find, subhanAllah, some Muslims, they raise slogans and some Muslim groups, I'm talking. And they say, Tawheed, Alhamdulillah, there's no need for the Tawheed. Every, all the Ummah are Muhid. MashaAllah, I wish it is true. If it is true, the Khilafah would have been established Decades ago. Don't you know that authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, an army consists of 12,000 fighters, muahid will not be defeated. Don't you know this hadith? Only we need 12,000 muahids and they will not be defeated. And we are crossing 1 billion and we can't have 12,000. Twelve thousands? So, and they are saying, Tawheed divides the Ummah. Have you heard this? They say, At-Tawheed yufarriq al-Muslimin. It divides the Muslims. You Wahhabi, they say. You Wahhabi. You talk about that worshipping Allah and uh, graves and things. Just leave this. This will, will divide the line, will divide the, unit, the, the community. So what we should do, first of all, bring the Muslims together. Then Tawheed will come later. This is the problem. If Tawheed became, becomes the least and the uh, priority, priority, then no victory, no Nasr. Tawheed should be first comes first priority. All prophets whom Allah sent, the first thing they would talk of about is the Tawheed. وَإِلَىٰ عَادٍ أَخَاهُمْ قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ وَإِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ وَإِلَىٰ مَدْيَنَ أَخَاهُمْ شُعَيْبًا قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ سبحان الله And unto Thamud, we sent their brother, Saleh. And he said, my people, worship Allah. You have no other God, no other ilah but Allah. And unto Ad, we sent their brother, Hud. And he said, my people, worship Allah. You have no other ilah but Allah. And unto the people of Shu'ayb, we sent him. He said, my people, worship Allah. You have no other ilah. This is the first priority. And you are now making the Tawheed, the last one. And you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you the establishment of the Khilafah and the victory? No way. Until we put Tawheed first, that it is the first priority. And when you say that the Tawheed divides the Ummah, the implication, Shirk brings the Ummah together. Huh? If the Tawheed 
divides the Muslims, shirk will unite them? So no tawheed, no unity of the Muslim ummah without the unity. Without unity, no unity. Without the tawheed, there will not be any unity among the Muslims. So the Muslim now organizations and groups, those who are calling, they should sort their priorities. Any da'wah ignores the tawheed, it will be a fruitless da'wah. Full stop. So tawheed should be the most important thing in our uh, methodology and our way of calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, tawheed, what is tawheed? And aqeedah. Who knows the difference between aqeedah and tawheed? I want him to raise his hand. The difference between aqeedah and tawheed. No one, even one. Subhana Rabbil Azim. And we want the khilafah? Oh, one here. But he's reluctant. Subhanallah. Because many of us, Many of us, they think that the two terms are synonymous when they are not. They are not synonymous, Tawheed and Aqeedah. Aqeedah is more universal, general than the Tawheed. Okay? Aqeedah, it is derived from the Arabic root, Aqada. And what means Aqada? See, I'm now making Uqda, making a knot. Aqadah means to make a knot. Aqadah al-Habil, he made a knot of the rope. So Aqidah, it means the set of beliefs that are tied in your heart. The set of beliefs that are tied firmly in your heart. Set of beliefs. Irrespective of its soundness. That's why we have the monotheistic creed, Aqidah al-Tawheed, Trinity Aqidah, Communist Aqidah, Hindu Aqidah, everyone has his own set of beliefs. So, so this tying, that means it is tied firmly in your heart and it should not be shaken. That's why the Prophet Wasallam, 18 years he was only concentrating upon the aqidah, planting that aqidah in the hearts of the Sahaba. 18 years. 18 years. And after the 18 years, they moved to Medina. Now, all the ordinances and teachings, do this, do this. We hear, we obey, we hear, we obey. Finish. Not like us, many Muslims now say, Allah says this, why? Hmm? He questions why. Why Allah said this? Aren't you a Muslim? Yes, I am a Muslim. You know the meaning of the Muslim? One who submits? Where's the submission? Where's the submissiveness? Where? You have no right, as Allah said, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمَ الْخِيرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ When Allah decreed a matter and his prophet, no Muslim, male or female, have any right or any choice or option except to follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And you find Muslims, if you tell a sister, cover, wear the hijab, is it necessary? 
One said that hijab is just, it was a custom among the Arabs or among the Turks. He's ignorant, and this is compound ignorance, as you know. As if she didn't read the Quran. I'm sure she didn't read the Quran. How about Surah Al Ahzab? How about Surah Al Nur? What to do? So, the true Muslims, when they hear the commandments of Allah, immediately we hear and we obey. So, what is the difference between Tawheed and Aqidah? Aqidah is a general, a set of beliefs, and, and you have to have an Aqidah. And the person who has this Aqidah, he is ready to die for this Aqidah. You know the tigers, the Tamil tigers in Sri Lanka? Everyone is carrying a tablet uh, uh, tied around his neck. I think saline tablet, something they call it? The, yeah, this Sinai. So this, this tablet is very poisonous, fatal. Immediately you will die. So the moment they catch him, the police or something. Why? So the secrets of his movement, his group, will not be exposed. So he's ready to die for that. This is because of the Aqidah. The Jews, they are fighting us now. With what? Aqidah. The Torah said, the Torah said, the Torah said. The first meeting in Oslo, Isaac Shamir, he said, I apologize, I have to leave the meeting because tomorrow is the Sabbath and I have to be in Palestine. See? Because his Torah says that he should be, should be home. So they are fighting us motivated by the Torah. And the Muslims, how they fight them? Hmm? What is the motivation? Because this is our nationalism. This is our land. So we have to defend it. If that is the motivation, not for Allah, you will never. So when we will have the upper hand, when will we win the battle when we raise the Quran and say this is it the Quran says the Quran says they are saying the Torah we are saying the Quran so we are motivated by what Allah said then and only then we will have the upper hand otherwise many wars we fought with the Jews and we were defeated in 1967 the commentator in Sot al-Arab the voice of the Arabs in Cairo he was saying, Which means, okay, oh, our troops advance, you have the singer, so and so, and the singer, female singer, so and so. So go. And what happened? All the airports were hit. Huh? The military bases, all of them, because the commanders, they were drunk. This is it. So this we should learn. Unless we come back to the Quran and put it that this is the battle of the Quran. That battle between two aqidahs. Then the Nasr will come down. Allah will grant us the victory. And as you know brothers and sisters, Nasr or victory are three types. Sorry for digressing. For three types, the types of victory. One we call it Nasrun Kauni, universal victory, which means material victory. The one who has more material, more ammunition, more weaponry, etc., 
he will win the battle. And of course the kuffar, they have more weapons than us. Even they know the number of bullets we have because they gave us. Okay? So they know that. So the second thing, the second thing, the second type of nasr, nasrun tafadduli, which means it, this victory is just a gift from Allah. A generous victory. A victory given to you by Allah generously. You don't deserve it, but He gives it. And this is what is happening from time to time. Glimpses here and there and there. Yes, the Muslims, they won here this battle, they won there. So that's to keep us, alhamdulillah, yes, there is Allah. Okay? This is victory, which is just fadl min Allah. And the third type of nasr is istihqaqi. That means you deserve, the ummah deserves this victory. And this type of victory, when you deserve it, only when you are upon the, the deen, upon the truth, then you will deserve this. As Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, when he was fighting the Mongolians, the Mughals, in the battle of Shakhab, and it was in Ramadan, and you know Hulaku, they invaded Baghdad and they killed thousands of Muslims. So he was moving between the, 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 the soldiers and he's saying, tomorrow the battle will start and we will win it. We will win this battle. So they said to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, say insha'Allah. He said, insha'Allah tahqiqan la ta'liqan. What does it mean? He said, insha'Allah for surety and certainty, not for perhaps. Not because, inshallah, we will win. For sure we will win, by Allah's grace. Why he said that? Because the Muslims, they did their part. They prepared themselves. And they repented. And they turned to Allah. And now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, no doubt, inshallah, will support. And I mentioned yesterday that on the battle of Badr, the angels came. And the one who sent the angels of Badr is Allah. He will send them down. Don't worry about the F-16, F-15, FFF. Don't worry about it. Okay? Don't worry about that. I'm serious. You know, the, the, the Mujahideen in the beginning of this century, when they were fighting the Kuffar, they told them that the Kuffar, they have flying machines. They call the airplane flying machines. So how can you fight them? See the Aqeedah. They used to say, Allah fawq al-ta'irat, am al-ta'irat fawq Allah. Who's above the other? Allah above the airplanes or the airplanes above Allah? The answer, Allah above the airplanes. So don't worry. With the normal rivals, one of them would shoot and he would bring the airplane. And it happened in Afghanistan with normal. Normal rival, he would bring the meg down. But now, the fear of the kuffar is there in our hearts. They have neutron bombs, they have atomic bombs. So what? So what? We have Allah. We have Allah. And if Allah is with us, alhamdulillah. So we have to make sure that we are in the side of Allah. Allah is behind us and He's with us. That's the more, most important thing. So aqeedah is a set of belief that are tied in your hearts. And then 
you can sacrifice for this. And you are ready to die for this. Sources of the Islamic Aqeedah, Quran and Sunnah, that's it. We don't take Aqeedah from anything else except the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Not from the philosophy, Greek philosophy, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, no. Quran and Sunnah. Features and characteristics of the Islamic Aqeedah. Simplicity and clarity. Muslim Aqeedah is very simple, very clear. Anyone comes now, explain to him the Islamic Aqeedah. He accepts it because it agrees with the fitrah. Tell him now, I explain to you my Aqeedah. You are a Christian. Explain to me the doctrine of Trinity. He said, I can't explain it. Tell him, okay, I want you, the priest, the bishop to explain it. He can't explain it. One of the bishop, uh, preachers, he was American, Steve Johnson, he became a Muslim. And he has PhD in logic. He told us that they used to tell us, you are studying logic and these things. When you enter the church, leave your rational, your logic at, with your shoes outside. Because what you are going to hear inside is totally illogic and irrational. Just take it on faith. See, See the difference, the simplicity of the Muslim aqeedah. It is also an instinctive creed. It goes with the fitra, with the instinct. It is a stable and well-defined. No ambiguity or unclarity, etc. And is a strong and firm. And you can't shake the faith of the Muslim. The true Muslim. It also offers and proves. It offers proofs and evidences for all issues of faith. Every issue. Angels, tell the Christians. What do you know about the angels? Can you tell me from your book? The details. What do you know about the torment in the grave? Do you know anything? What are the details mentioned in your books about the hereafter? Can you explain to me? They don't have that. They don't have it. And we have everything detailed in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet Also, one of the main features that neutrality between materialism and monasticism. No? It's not a material deen concentrating only about the, the matter and the material side and neglecting the spiritual. Neither concentrating on the spiritual and neglecting the material. Because man consists of two parts. Man consists of two parts. Material part and spiritual part. This material part, you take care of it by giving the food and the drink, etc. How about the spiritual one? The soul, the spirit. It needs food and nutrition. And that food is the ibadah. That's why you find here in the West, among the Kuffar, for instance, in Sweden. Sweden, the Swedish person has the highest income per individual, but still they have the highest rate of suicide. Why? Among the youngsters. Because of this spiritual vacuum inside. And you try to fill that spiritual vacuum by drugs, it doesn't work. By women, it doesn't work. And you try everything. Still, the soul is crying. Finally, I have to get rid of this life. So Islam created that equilibrium and balance between the material part and the spiritual part. So you see the balance in Islam 
when the group of the Sahaba came to the household of the Prophet ﷺ and they asked about his ibadah and uh, when they heard the wives of the Prophet ﷺ mentioning his ibadah, they said, it is little, but maybe a little from the Prophet ﷺ is sufficient. So we have to do more than the Prophet ﷺ. So one said, I will castrate myself. You know castration? I will castrate myself. Another one said, I will not sleep the whole night. I will be praying. Another one said, I will not break my fast. When the Prophet ﷺ heard this, he, he said, he gathered the Muslims in the masjid, and he said, by Allah, I fear Allah more than any one of you. And I sleep and pray at night, and I fast and break, and I marry women. And whoever is not satisfied with my sunnah, with my way, he's not of, of me. He's not from my ummah. That I said. Because this is extremism. Imagine if you are praying the whole night. What will happen during the day? You will sleep. Naturally. If you are not working at night, if you are not sleeping at night, you sleep during the day. So who will uh, feed you? Umar ibn Khattab used to take a daily and uh, morning tour patrolling Medina, entering the masjid, moving from one masjid to another. If he finds anyone, he said, what are you doing now? Sun already uh, risen. So what are you doing here? Go, look for your livelihood. Go for risk. Look for your risk. You know that the sky will not rain gold. So leave, leave. <laughs> huh? That's it. The early Muslims, they realized. So this balance between material part and the spiritual part. Impact of aqidah on communal and individual life. It's domination on the souls. A person, akhi, you cannot stop a person from committing evil unless he feels there's someone who's watching him and that someone is, has power over him and he can punish him for his mis, uh, mischief. If he doesn't believe in that, nothing can stop him. Even the law. As long as he can feel that he's safe from the law, that he will not be caught red-handed, he will do it. And you know, all man-made laws, they have loopholes. You know this? The constitution started in this size, now growing. Why it is growing? Amending, amending, amending. According to this clause, they have to... Because who put it down? Man. And man, he doesn't know what will happen tomorrow. So new things will happen, so they have to find solutions. So it grows. But the law of Allah is the same. The creator. Number one. Number two, the one who put the law, he will not put the law against himself. True or not? So he will leave a red door to escape. Okay? An exit. That's why those professional, what do you call them, lawyers or liars? <laughs> huh? I hope there are no lawyers here. Okay? Those professional lawyers, even if, you're, even if you were caught red-handed, he will, huh? he will be, huh? he can prove you innocent. And you know the longest trial is Simpson trial, right? What happened because of this? He came out. So, so the aqidah, only the aqidah, and that is only in Islam, the aqidah will stop you. Because Allah watches you. Imagine this, a Muslim thief, Muslim thief, going to steal. As Ibn Qayyim said, he will go to steal and his trust is in Allah. His tawakkul upon Allah. He said, my Lord, my Lord. 
Don't let anyone see me or don't uh, let anyone to catch me. My Lord, my Lord. He's going to steal. See? Of course, this is a paradox. But this is what is happening. I hope nobody will catch me this time, inshallah. <laughs> so this is it. <clears throat> so the, the, only the aqidah that will dominate and will prevent you and stop you from committing crimes. Arabs, the situation of the Arabs before Islam, you know them. Killing each other, burying their doses, etc. And all of a sudden, they ruled the whole world. Within a few years, Allah reformed their character by this aqidah. So Tawheed, brothers and sisters, has two meanings. Lexical meaning, lexical meaning, and technical meaning. What do you mean by the lexical meaning? I mean the dictionary definition. The linguistic meaning. We say in the Arabic language, the root of the Tawheed is Wahada, Yuwahidu Tawheedan. So it is a Masdar or what we call a verbal noun. Masdar. Wahada, Yuwahidu Tawheedan. Which means, linguistically I'm talking, lexically, it means to unify. To make a thing into one entity. For instance, we say in the Arabic language, Mahada al-Malikul Bilat. The king, Wahada, unified the country. That the country was divided into many provinces, provinces or states. So he united all of them and made it one state. Wahada al-Malikul Bilat. So this is the lexical meaning. How about the technical meaning? Technical meaning, Tawheed means singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his uniqueness. In the rububiyyah, lordship, that he is your lord, he is your creator, he is your cherisher, he is your sustainer. This is what we call rububiyyah. Also singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the uluhiyyah. It means that all the acts of worship are Allah's. That we should offer all the acts of our worship exclusively to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our salah, our fast, our uh, Pilgrimage, all our the rituals are, should be offered exclusively to Allah, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This we call it the unity of worship or uluhiyya. And then we have the unity of divine names and attributes of Allah. Divine names of attributes of Allah. Which means we have to believe in the names of Allah and the attributes which are included in the names of Allah. Because every name carries within itself an attribute. Because Allah's names, they have meanings. So for instance, Al-Basir, the all hearer, it means the one who hears. Al-Sami'ah, Al-Basir, the all seer, the one who sees. So you can see every name carries within itself an attribute. The meaning of the name is the attribute. So you have to believe in the names of Allah and the attributes in every name. And the names of Allah are classified into two categories. Transitive names and intransitive names. The transitive name consists of three components. The name itself, the meaning of the name, and the effect of the name. So now, are you following me brothers and sisters? Now, because I'm running out of time. The transitive name, three components. The name, the meaning, and the effect. So now, we just take Ar-Razzab. Is this transitive or intransitive? 
Don't make the same mistake. Don't make a mistake. Transitive, because he provides. He provides you. So it is transitive. So then we have to apply this formula for the Razzaq. So a Razzaq, the name of Allah is a Razzaq. Okay. The meaning of a Razzaq, the one who provides. What is the fruit? Your Iman. Don't worry about your... This, don't worry about provision. Allah will provide for you. Allah will provide. Al-Basir, Allah sees. So the attribute that Allah sees, Allah sees everything. What is the effect? What should be the effect of this name? If you believe in the name of Allah, Al-Basir, what, should, what is the fruit? You should not watch and see the haram. Right? You should not watch television. Don't you feel shy of Allah? You are watching the TV and the remote control on your hand and you made sure that the children slept. Uh, because it's only for adults now. Okay? And you are watching it. Imagine if you die holding the remote control watching tel- the telly. Do you want to die like that? Imagine if you die while you are in one of the sites, pornography sites. Huh? Chatting or watching. You want to die like that? So if you believe that Allah is al-Basir, you will not do that. As-Sami'a, the all-hearer. That Allah, all-hearer, he hears. What is the fruit? What should be the impact? You should not listen to the haram, backbiting, slandering, music, everything haram. Because you believe that Allah as-Sami'a. The types of Tawheed, as we mentioned, uh, this, the classification of Tawheed. For instance, now, if I ask you, how many types are there of Tawheed? Three. What are they? Asma'an Sifat. Can you give me a proof for that from the Quran and Sunnah? No, I'm not asking you to explain. I'm just asking about the classification and categorization. No, no, you, are, you didn't get the question. You didn't get the question. I'm saying, where is it mentioned in the Quran or the Sunnah that Tawheed consists of three categories? Nowhere. If someone says it's mentioned, show it to me. That the Tawheed consists of three categories. Rububiyah, Uluhiyah. It's not there. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you to, to a point. Just wait. So it's not there. So the scholars, they categorize the Tawheed into three categories based on what? If it is neither in the Quran nor in the Sunnah. Based on the istiqra, surveying, studying all the texts, the Quran and the Sunnah. And they found out that this doctrine or this unity, the doctrine of unity, revolves around three main points. Either it talks about Allah, the Creator, and you have to single Him out regarding His actions and His acts, that is your Creator, your Cherisher, your Provider, and that's Rububiyah. Or it talks about that we should single out Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding our deeds 
and that is uluhiyah, that we worship none but Allah. Or it talks about the names and attributes of Allah. So it is merely through the istiqra, the survey, surveying and analyzing the religious texts, Quran and Sunnah. You understand? Number two, the early Muslim scholars, they divided the Tawheed only into two categories. Two categories. Tawheed al-Ma'rifah wal-Ithbat, the unity of cognition and affirmation. And the second type is Tawheed al-Qasdi wal-Talab, the unity of purpose and deeds. So now, those brothers who are saying the classification, only three. And if you mention something else I'm going to mention, huh, then you are deviants. You are mubtada, you are doing bid'ah. How you can say a person is mubtada when he is not doing anything according to, uh, against the Quran and Sunnah? And this classification or categorization is not mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah. How then you, you label that person as a mubtada? Based on what? Any answer? No one to defend? You see? You see how weak the argument is? So, so the, if you are saying that Tawheed now should be three, how about those who say it was only two? So those who made it three are mubtada according to your criteria. True or not? But, if you understand it in this way, that those scholars, when they say it is the unity of the cognition and affirmation, what do they mean by that? There, under that, you find the unity of divine names and attributes and the unity of lordship. It is hidden under it. So those who came later, they subdivided it for the sake of clarity for the students of knowledge. To subdivide it, like a teacher will stand on the blackboard, he wants to explain something, he will break it into points. For the sake of clarity. And then the unity of purpose and deeds, this is the unity of ibadah. So there's no difference at all. Unity of cognition and information, it's actually rububiya and asma and sifat. And the unity of unity of purpose and deeds, that is uluhiyah. So just the terminology is different. Now, how about tawheed hakimiyah? Hmm? I think this is a restricted zone, is it? <laughs> So first of all, I want to know, brothers and sisters, because I have heard, people are talking about things when they don't know what they are talking about. So what do you mean by hakimiyah? Explain to me first of all. How can I negate something when I can't define it? So what do you mean? You found many brothers, hakimiyah means toppling off the regimes. Have you heard this? Throwing off the regimes. Who said that's the meaning of hakimiyah? That means you don't understand, first of all, the hakimiyah. Who is Al-Hakim or who is the Hakam? Who is the judge or the ruler? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Muslims should abide to the law of Allah or shouldn't they? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, in al-hukmu illa lillah. The judgment belongs exclusively to Allah. He said, wala yushriku bi hukmi ahada. No one has the right to share with him his sovereignty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So unanimously, all Muslims, they agree that Allah should rule and we should abide to His rule. That is Hakimiyah. That's simple. That we should abide to the law of Allah and we should implement His Sharia. That's why the scholars like Sheikh bin Uthaymeen, 
Because they talk about scholars, scholars, and they tell you, they don't convey this to you. Shaykh al-Uthaymin, rahimallah, in his book, Kashf al-Shubuhat and Asul al-Thalata, he said, Tawheed al-Hakimiyyah, or the unity, or singling out Allah regarding the issue of judgment and hukum, it falls under rububiyah. It falls under, under what? Rububiyah. So do you accept that Allah is the hakim and the hakam, and we should abide ourselves to his law? Or you don't. If you don't, you are kafir. If you do, so what is the problem then? Why are you making a fuss? When you accept it. So what is your problem? You are against categorizing it as an independent category? No problem. What is matter here that you believe that we should abide to the law of Allah and it falls under rububiyah. Sheikh uh, Dr. Al-Fazan, Sheikh Salih Al-Fazan, Allah said, the unity of the hukum, or singling out Allah regarding this issue, it falls under uluhiyah. So you can see now the scholars, they are not against it in reality, in its real essence. Some they will say, well, why did Sheikh bin Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, say it is bid'ah? So what did he mean then? If he said he's against classifying it as an independent category or entity. That's it. He's against the terminology, not the real thing. So you should understand this. Is this clear to you, brothers and sisters? Is it clear? Any ambiguity? So, Tawheed al-Hakimiyyah, singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding the, the judgment of the hukum, that is Allah. That is Allah, and we have to abide to that. Or maybe Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, what he meant, because there are many people, the only thing they talk about is Hakimiyyah. 24 hours, Hakimiyyah, rulers, rulers, rulers. That's it. Uh, he smokes and he talks about the rulers. He eats riba, talks about the rulers, and mashallah, everything. Every topic. So he's talking about those, this group of people. That's the only their concern. No, as we say, we season your food reasonably. If you put too much salt, you will not be able to eat your food. So, it is part of the Tawheed, and the Tawheed consists of many parts, many branches, and we have to fulfill every part of the Tawheed. Okay? So, this is the meaning of Tawheed Hakimiyyah, or some scholars said, okay, it is under Rububiyyah. For the sake of clarity, I am bringing it down, so people to know it. Just like those who brought down from under the unity of cognition and formation, Rububiyyah and Asma'an, Sifat, what's the difference? Why for the previous it, is, it was permissible, for the latter it is bid'ah. Is this sound? Illogical, irrational. So, there is no room for this and we should not waste our time about the issue of hakimiyyah. May Allah increase our knowledge in deen and bring our hearts together. I mean, and utilize us for spreading his deen everywhere. So, as you know, usual. Okay. Now we'll just try to handle. Oh, they said no time. Even one? Question? Okay, just the, one of the questions which are already received. That we should pursue and enlighten ourselves and pursue our deen and study our deen academically and take it seriously and seek the religious knowledge gradually and surely, step by step. And we move from one book to another. We started with the Aqidah, we started with the Quran, we started, and we built up. 
the, because this is the cure and this is the remedy for all these things are, that are happening and taking place around us. The real, the root cause for that is the jahal, the lack of knowledge. So this is an advice, you can take it, and may Allah, inshallah, help all of you. Assalamu alaikum. Brothers, the next, and sisters, the next program starts at 10.45. Uh, as usual, we always run out of time. What I'm hoping to do tonight, inshallah,